Well, thanks for being here this weekend. If uh, you're here in the room or watching online, appreciate you kind of tuning in and showing up today. And uh, my name's Ryan, one of the teaching pastors here, and I'm excited to walk us into the kind of the next conversation that we've been in over the course of the summer, all about Jesus. And uh, what we really said is that we were calling this series the most interesting man in the world, and we're saying this is who Jesus is, right? He is the most interesting man who's ever lived. And, and no matter what my faith journey has been like, uh, maybe if you grew up following Jesus forever and you kind of grew up uh, in church in the womb, so to say, or if you're somebody who's just kind of looking at Jesus, taking a, a glance at who he is and who he's been, no matter where we would land on that spectrum, we would all say, yeah, absolutely, Jesus has made an unbelievable impact on the world. If you had to measure kind of the, the impact of any human being, uh, arguably Jesus probably made the most difference of anybody who's ever lived. And you can see that difference all over the place, right? It, 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 kind of the, the fingerprints, the impact, the ripple uh, that Jesus has left is almost immeasurable. Everything from the fact that churches exist all over the planet to people that would say, I follow Jesus and I make my decisions based on what he says, uh, to the fact that kind of whole areas of society exist today because of the teachings of Jesus. Uh, things like hospitals and school, the value of education, uh, the value of human dignity, uh, that, that human beings are creating the image of God and men and women have equal value and people all over the planet have equal value. These are things that Jesus would teach about and they would be part of our thought process and we wouldn't even readily recognize necessarily that Jesus taught us those things and they exist today because of him, right? So we said we want to go back and look at Jesus, kind of take it all the way back to the beginning and, and actually understand and know him kind of more personally. We don't want to see him just from a historical perspective or even just look at how culture would view him. We said we want to go all the way back and kind of see Jesus through the eyes of the people who knew him best, who actually witnessed his life. And so that's what we've been doing. And we said we want to understand what made Jesus tick and what was he like, right? What was he like to interact with and how would he have interacted with people uh, maybe who he disagreed with? How do you interact with people who were ostracized from society? Uh, what did he actually do in, in, in his short 33-year life, in his short three-year ministry? What were some kinds of things that Jesus would have done when he was on the planet? We kind of are familiar with him dying on the cross probably, but what else did he do and what else was he about? And that's really what we've been looking at, saying this man is certainly worth our attention and time no matter where I land on my faith spectrum, if I'm investigating Jesus, I'm probably going to walk away from this conversation in this series and say, boy, I understand Jesus more. If I were to follow him, I would understand more of who it is I'm going to be kind of hitching my wagon to, saying, I'm going to follow that guy. I actually know him now. I know enough to know what it means to be his disciple or his follower. For those of us who are Christ followers, I think it takes us a level deeper to say, and I, I'm real familiar with church and, I, and kind of church stuff, but I, if I'm real honest, I don't always know Jesus that well to actually know what he's like. And boy, it's refreshing and invigorating to, to actually see the author of our faith and get to know him kind of personally. So we said we were going to do this and we're looking through the, the lenses of one of Jesus' closest disciples, one of his closest followers, John. He would have been one of Jesus' best friends. And that John is one of four guys that set out to write an account of Jesus' life from a, kind of from a specific perspective, right? Each of these four men would take a different kind of approach to Jesus' life and write an account from their vantage point. John does that as well. 
And what he does is he sets it up where he kind of captures seven uh, major miracles, supernatural events that Jesus performed. He's going to call those signs, and he lays them out, kind of tells us what Jesus did, tells us what Jesus said, and then he basically by the end of the book, he looks at us and kind of says, hey, here's who he is. What do you want to do with him now? Do you want to believe in Jesus or not? Because as we're going to see today and as we continue throughout this series and have been talking about this throughout, Jesus in his actions and his words really doesn't give us much room. When we really understand what he did and what he said, there's not much room to land in the middle with Jesus. I can't really land in a place where I look at Jesus and say, you know, Jesus is just a neat guy. Like, he's just like a solid dude. He's a good teacher, and he's like another religious icon, and yeah, he's great. Because anybody who claims to be God and does God-like things and says, listen, you're either with me or you're against me, when we look at a person like that, we almost have to land in a place where we say, geez, everything that Jesus said is true and real, and he's God, and I'm in, and I want to follow him. Or you almost have to land in the other place where you say, actually, it's all a hoax. I don't believe a word that Jesus said. He's crazy or he's evil, but there's really no room in the middle, right? And that's what John is kind of pressing us to. Say, are you going to see him and treat him as God, or are you going to completely reject him? Because there's really no ground or no room to land in a place where we're neutral. Uh, That's not the nature of who Jesus is, and it's certainly not the nature of how he lived. So what we're going to see today as we go into uh, kind of the next sign is we're going to look at a a pretty familiar one. Maybe you heard about this if you're kind of investigating Jesus. You maybe have heard that he's walked on the water. Uh, That's what we're going to look at today, and we're going to take some time and really dive into it. And if you're just jumping in with us today, I encourage you to maybe catch up uh, if you want to. You can do that online, graceohio.org. Grab our app, and you can follow us there. Watch everything uh, online, or of course, uh, connect with us through YouTube, and you can get up caught up on that as well. But what we want to do today is uh, jump into John chapter 6. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it to John chapter 6. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, not a big deal. Open your phone, follow us on the app, and uh, you can follow the notes there, or you can grab a Bible from right uh, in front of you underneath the rows in the chairs there. There's some extra Bibles. Uh, Grab that. It's page 743 in those Bibles. And if you want to take one home with you, if you don't have a copy of the Bible, love to just give that to you as a gift. Uh, Write your name in it, make it your own, and uh, use that. So John chapter 6, where we're going to set up shop today, (laughs) and in this story we're going to look at as we look at John 6, uh, the context is a little bit this. So uh, last week we talked about Jesus and how he fed the 5,000, probably more like 10 or 15,000. He had a handful of loaves of bread, multiplied that. The disciples would have been with him. They would have had a really long day after a really long season of ministry, stretch of ministry. And that's where we actually pick up the story today uh, in John chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. Here's what John tells us. He says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake uh, where they got into a boat and they set off across the lake for Capernaum. Uh, By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. So here's what John says. He says, here's what's going on, right? They're done with this long day of feeding the 5,000. Uh, Mark, another gospel writer, would tell us a little bit more detail. He says that Jesus would basically put his disciples in this boat and say, here, I want you guys to cross over the lake. It's nighttime. I'm going to go pray on this mountain, and I want you to go kind of 
pro- go and I'll catch up with you later is kind of the idea. So they do that. It's night. It's dark. They would have been tired already. And this would have been on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, it's called a sea. It's kind of like I've, I've been there. It's really, it looks like a lake. Okay. It's, just, it's not that big. It's not that big of a body of water. The part they're going to cross over is about five miles wide. And, and it, the longest would have been about 13 miles, right? So you can imagine that in your mind, they're going to cross over this five mile leg. And the guys, some of the guys who are disciples, who are Jesus' followers, uh, would have been fishermen. So they would have understood the waters. They would have understood how to row. They would have all been in one boat, kind of think like a canoe on steroids almost, right? It's super big and they can all row with it. And, and they would cross over this basically lake and they would do it in the night. Now, John's going to tell us some more details. He says, a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. What would happen at the Sea of Galilee is it's surrounded by kind of mountains, big hills and mountains. And so the wind would kind of rush down in and it would create really, really choppy waters, super dangerous actually. And they would happen quick. So it could look really still, but if the wind kicked up, it would be a storm all of a sudden. And these fishermen would have known that. They would have recognized that and they would have understood kind of the the danger that they were in. These experienced fishermen, they knew their craft well, and they knew the waters well, and as they set out into the evening and they saw the storm kick up, they would have known, we're in trouble, right? We, this could be a dangerous situation. Uh, we know how to navigate it the best we can, and they also kind of knew the gravity of it, that they're getting themselves in probably over their head. It says, when they had rowed about three or four miles, another account would tell us that it took these, uh, these 12 men about seven to eight hours, most of the night, to row through this storm, what would have been about a five-mile stretch. They, row, they rowed uh, three or four miles of it, and it would take them all evening. It usually would take them about an hour. Like if it was calm water, they would have zipped through that in about an hour, and they would be laboring in the wind, in the rain, right, in the dark, all night long, and they'd only made it three or four miles. They would have been exhausted, kind of rowing against the wind and the storm, and they would be physically exhausted at this point, uh, probably emotionally exhausted. Even before they fed the 5,000, they were all kind of tired, and so now they would be completely spent. If you can imagine that, if you've ever been at a point in your life and you've been completely and totally physically done, emotionally done, and certainly they would have looked around at each other and thought, well, are we going to make it through this? It's getting dicey, right? This is getting a little bit over our head, a little overwhelming as they would have been cold, wet, tired, hungry, and physically drained. Uh, we've all been there. It's not a good place to be, right? So three or four miles into it, Here's what happens next. They see Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. Probably understatement, right, at that point. Here's what's going on. Another a gospel account as they kind of fill in some other details. If we look at Matthew, Mark, and kind of the other stories, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we hear that, that they didn't know right away that it's Jesus, right? So they're, they're rowing straining at the oars, their eyes are filled with rain, they're exhausted, and they, can you imagine this, they see this figure out here in the, in the kind of in the, the rain, walking on the water, you imagine the fright, the absolute terror that you would have seeing someone hovering towards you, walking on the waves. 
you're like, this is crazy. So one of the other gospel accounts tells us they actually thought it was a ghost. They thought a ghost was coming to them and that they were going to take them away and they're dead, right? So they see this, this thing coming at them and they're like, we're dead, right? It's over. Game over for us. And you're like, Ryan, do they believe in ghosts? Conversation for another time, right? We can talk about that some other place. But here, here's what's happening. They recognize that it's Jesus. He's walking on the water. They're totally scared and frightened by the whole thing. Then here's what happens. He looks at them and says to them, it is I, don't be afraid. It is I, don't be afraid. When we hear it is I, I I don't know, I hear it and I just think, oh, it's like somebody saying, I'm here. It's me, right? I'm here. It's Jesus. When these Jewish group of disciples hear it is I, they hear something very, very different. Okay, because here's the thing. Uh, this group of men, what they would have had in their minds, kind of burned into their minds and their mentality is the whole Old Testament, Right, so, so they would have been so familiar with the Old Testament that it would have been complete common knowledge and anything that even remotely sounded like something from the Old Testament would trigger in their mind and they all would have known that this is, has something to do with this body of knowledge that we have. Uh, the, the way that it makes sense to me is this. So my friends and I, uh, like we would have watched the same like 50 movies as kids a gazillion times, myth spent youth, right? Like we would listen to, listen to music and we would watch these same movies over and over and over again. And then as we hung out, when something would happen, somebody would quote a, a line from a movie and everybody knew what we were all talking about, right? Or you say a song, like a song lyric and everybody knows we're talking about that song and it's a, a shared body of knowledge. And, and I think this is exactly how the disciples would have been. They, they would have been like, Anything that's happening that happens from the Old Testament, it would throw a trigger and they would be like, whoa, I know exactly what that means. When they hear Jesus say, it is I, what they would have heard is I am. I am he is actually what it says. And when, when they heard that, they would have known that that's the Hebrew name for God that Moses would have heard when Moses was in the burning bush. They see Jesus walking on the water, they hear it is I, and then they recognize, they would have had to start, the dots would start to connect that Jesus is actually God. Not only is he the one that turns water into wine, can he heal this boy from a town away, is he our rabbi, but he's actually God himself. And probably they would have verses from the Old Testament start to fire in their minds. The dots would start to connect. Now, let me show you a few that might have been going off in their brains as they would have seen Jesus walking towards them on the water. Something like this, Job 9.8, talking about God, he alone treads on the waves of the sea. It is I. They watch him walking on the water and they're like, boom, that's God. Job told us that, and they would have all known that verse. They would have been familiar with this psalm right here. Um, this is amazing. Check this out, Psalm 107. It says, some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke, and he stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and they brought them and he brought them out of their distress. 
He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. They would have been connecting the dots that this Jesus is God. It's the fulfillment of this psalm. It's happening right before our eyes. Here's how the rest of the story goes. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. They make the connection. This is not a ghost. This is not a phantom. This is not something that we can't trust. This is Jesus, and he's not just our Messiah. He's God himself. And he's the fulfillment of what we would have known and heard from the Old Testament. They take, I love this phrase, they were willing to take him into the boat, right? They receive him into their situation. And immediately another miracle takes place. The boat is supernaturally transferred, right? They have another mile or so to go, the, the, uh, the passage tells us. And immediately they're guided to the shore where they're heading, that entire psalm just played out in their minds and in their lives right here in front of them, right? Fantastic thing. Jesus walks on the water. He calms the storm, supernaturally moves this boat. The message to the disciples would have been absolutely clear. They would have heard and registered loud and clear, this is God. This guy right here is our God. And he is able to do something that is far beyond our ability. When we're at wit's end, he is able to calm the storm, uh, bring peace into our situation, and he can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Right? So this is all playing out, and here's part of what is happening that is kind of our message from John. John knows as we read this that we also are going to face storms in life. The reality is that this life, Jesus would tell us in John, that in this life you're going to have trouble, that in this life we live in an imperfect world. We're always going to have issues and unknowns and things that we're going to face in our culture. We're always going to wonder if the government's going to crash or not, if the financial market's going to fall apart. There's always going to be sickness to wrestle with, conflict in our relationships. There's always going to be storms kind of raging around us. And that reality is going to be normal for many of us, for all of us. And, and there's really no getting out of it. The moments where there's actual stillness in our circumstances and peace in our lives, there, there's kind of the rare times in life. The norm is kind of facing the stress and the difficulty of life. What Jesus wants us to know, I think one of the things he wants us to capture is that in the midst of those storms, as they rage around us in our personal lives, in our culture, in our nation, we can face anxiety in the middle of that. And what he's offering to do is this. I'll say it this way. As the storms rage around us, Christ brings peace within us. He's offering to kind of still the storm inside of us. Because here's the thing I want to make sure that we capture. Jesus in this teaching, and John is certainly not telling us here that if I follow Jesus and I invite him into the storms of my life, that he's going to change all of my circumstances, that he's going to make my life easy and pain-free, and nothing's ever going to go wrong. Man, if you follow Jesus, it's all going to be easy and pain-free. That's certainly not true. In fact, we would know that from the rest of the story, because Jesus and his disciples, as they continue 
to progress in the ministry, the opposition is going to go up, the storm is going to increase, all the way to the point where Jesus is going to actually face death himself and crucifixion. The storm is going to peak out at that level. So certainly he's not telling us that, listen, your, your circumstances are going to be pain-free and easy if you just follow me. If you just let me into the boat, I'm always going to fix everything that's wrong with you. Right, everything that's wrong with your world and bring control to your situation. What he is offering to do is to bring peace, supernatural peace to the anxiety that we feel in this life. Right? The kind of day in and day out anxiety that we would wrestle with, the kind of anxiety even that the disciples would wrestle with in the moment of fright and exhaustion, he's offering to bring peace into our situation. All of us long for that. Right? The question is, how do we get it? Where does it come from? And what does it kind of practically look like to bring Jesus into my storm and to find peace in the midst of it? I, I was talking to a friend about this. Think about it a little bit as we were kind of putting this conversation together. And uh, I was talking to a buddy named Josh Taylor. I actually want to bring Josh up here. He's going to be sharing with us for a few minutes. Josh is one of our residents here at Grace. And uh, we have some residents and interns here at the church, kind of future leaders that are being developed. And Josh and I were talking about a year ago about anxiety and how we both wrestle with it and face it. And he had some great things to share as he's learning how to manage that. I thought he could spend a few minutes with us today sharing a little bit how that works in his life. Sweet. Well, thanks. It's exciting to be with you guys, and uh, thankful that Pastor Ryan would let me jump in on the conversation. And um, yeah, we're just talking about that. There are a lot of times where we do not have that peace, and things are not at all under control. And as we were talking about that, I thought of um, the first year me and my wife were married. We were like trying to really start to figure out how we're going to do life together. We're figuring each other out. How do we work as a team? And there was a lot of stuff we did not know. <laughs> and we were like, we have to figure something out. We have to at least attempt and try to get on the same page. And so we thought the best effort would be to sync up uh, how we wanted to handle our finances. And so we were young, and we were poor, and we kind of still are, um, but we didn't have a lot of money. <laughs> and so we had to use the money we did have wisely. So we started looking into budgeting, how we could do that well, and we found this thing called the envelope system. And if you've never heard of it, really how it works is you're supposed to kind of budget for each month, hey, this is how much I'd like to spend on groceries, on gas, on whatever category you name it, and you would put in envelopes cash for each of those categories. And so you would stick to that for the month. And when it was gone, it was gone. And you had to make it through to the end of the month. And we thought that was great. We thought that'd be a really uh, good way for us to learn that discipline. So we went out and bought this little uh, envelope folder. All the type A people in the room are like, yeah, I got a couple of those laying around. <laughs> um, this great little nifty tool easy investment, thought we were going to learn a bunch. The only thing that really freaked us out was um, we didn't have a lot of money. So we were going to have to completely empty our banking account to like fill the envelope for the month. <laughs> we're like, do we really want to do this? Are we, are we going to go all in? And uh, we thought, yes, we have to figure this out. Let's try it. And so we did that. We went to the bank, took all the money out, put it in different little folders, and we actually went to the grocery store to go through our first uh, grocery shopping experience. It went great. We stayed within budget, paid in cash, felt really good about ourselves. And so to kind of celebrate, we uh, ended up going to get some ice cream. 
So we're ordering ice cream. We're happy until we realize the envelope's gone. And uh, we're freaking out. So we start looking in grocery bags. We're looking in our car. We start blaming each other. We're like, I thought you had the envelope folder. No, I thought you had it. And all of a sudden, we're at each other's throats, and we're freaking out. And so we had to pay for the ice cream with a credit card, which you're not supposed to do in the envelope system. We speed back to the Walmart and are looking all over the parking lot, looking in grocery carts, asking random strangers, like, have you found large sums of cash anywhere? <laughs> and um, it's gone. It's completely gone. And so my wife ends up going in, talk to customer service, hey, maybe someone turned, I'm like, yeah, maybe someone turned in a large sum of cash. And she comes back out, walking with the envelope in hand. And uh, we get in the car, I open it up, and all the cash is still in there. And I'm just like, relieved. I set it on the dash and just start like laughing. I just thought it was so funny. I look over at my wife and she's just bawling her eyes out, like, we almost lost all of our money. And so we responded to that very differently. Uh, but one of the things that, as I think about that, it's super normal. We try to get things under control, and we think we're starting to get there. And maybe we even do sometimes. We're like, hey, I've got this thing, but really it ends up just stressing me out. And I end up realizing how little control I actually have. And if I start to get one little thing figured out, I'm trying to make sure I don't lose it and something bad doesn't happen to it. And I get more freaked out that I'm gonna lose control if I didn't have control in the first place. And that idea of the fear of not having control or losing control, really the Bible calls that anxiety. A fear of not having control or losing control. And not all anxiety is the same, definitely, but we all experience that kind of anxiety, right? Every day almost. The things that we can't manage, the things that are out of our control, and the fear that comes along with it. And this is exactly what the disciples are going through. They're in a moment where they should be able to manage and control the situation, but they can't. And they don't know what they're going to do, and they're afraid. And enter Jesus, will their fear keep them from engaging him and allowing him in? That's a big question that they're faced with, and it actually is something that we can address, because we all get anxious in life, right? It's not when it's not if, it's when I get anxious. And God actually wants to be involved as I go through my journey of anxiety. He wants to be involved in the midst of it. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And, and as Ryan was saying, he might not work everything out. Like all of my circumstances might not change, but really what he wants to do internally inside of me as I journey through that is really where we want to dive into. So as we were talking a verse that uh, came to mind in Philippians 4 was, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So as we look at those two verses, I want to point out two specific words. The first one is, what exactly is anxiousness? What are we talking about here? And as I looked into it, the word literally means to be pulled apart or to be separated in different directions. And so your hopes and your plans have you going one way, you've got everything under control, but fear or something you can't control or a change in circumstance begins to tear us apart on the inside. The thing that's fascinating, too, is the second, ver uh, the second word I want to point out, the second verse, the peace of God. Peace is actually the idea of things being made whole 
or being brought back into harmony. And so whether whatever it is that's pulling you apart is one really big thing or a whole bunch of little things or even things that are good, like just responsibilities, right? Like having a kid and a job and all the things that you want in your life, but you can't always manage it to the fullest. As all those things are pulling us apart, God wants to step in and be a part of the mending of our soul. He wants to be the solution in that way. And so that, that actually is amazing to me that he wants to be a part of what concerns me and that I have someone who I can trust is in control even when I'm not. And so hopefully we all get anxious in life in that way. I'm not the only one. And when that starts happening, I view it like this uh, warning light going off in my head. Sometimes it makes a noise too. It's like, arr, arr. and uh, what I do, what I'm prepared to do when that happens is fully ignore it and just pretend like it's not happening and try to get more things under control or act like I actually do have everything together. And uh, it's actually, it's really harmful. It's a really frustrating thing to do because um, it really just builds on itself. What I have been finding to be more helpful is just admitting it. Just admitting when I'm anxious, even if it's over those good things. I end up admitting that it's true. It's actually happening, talking about it. And then I end up going to God to process that with him. Because what ends up happening when that anxiousness is going on in my heart, I've ended up putting on a whole bunch of expectations on myself that I was never meant to fulfill. I've began to believe a whole bunch of lies about myself that are not true. I've, I, I've actually began to kind of like act as the God of my life, and it freaks me out to try to have that role for myself. I begin to be tempted just to doubt God when I, I don't engage him in that way. It's actually, I'm actually so grateful in that moment when I realize I can depend on God. This isn't all on me. He does have things under control. But when I don't engage that process, I get to this place where, all right, I'm anxious in this moment right here, and I don't do anything about it, and then a couple days later, I get anxious about this thing, and that makes me anxious and frustrated, and then I'm anxious about this thing over here still, so it kind of builds on each other, but then I get anxious a couple days later, so I'm anxious about that thing, and I'm anxious about that thing, and I'm saying, and I still haven't addressed that thing over there, and it starts to build on each other and build on each other, and before I know it, I'm in a cycle, and I can't get out of it, and God seems more distant than ever, and that... I begin to doubt his goodness and that he actually can do anything to intervene in my situation. It becomes a lot more frustrating and a lot harder to believe him and engage him in those moments. So that's why in every situation, every anxious situation, we engage him. The last thing I kind of want to point out is just that this verse is actually a promise. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We can bank on him. He will come through. Even though it's very humbling for me to admit that I don't have everything under control, that I don't have God's perspective, that my abilities aren't enough, and it's easy to get frustrated with that, what I come through on the other end of engaging and believing that promise is realizing that there is someone who is more powerful than me. There is someone who does have control and who actually wants to be a part of what I'm going through, that he would care enough about my concerns and my worries and the things that matter to me. And he would want to release me from that anxiety. So I'm going to let Ryan come back up, but 
that's what we're asking. Like, when I'm in anx- anxious in life, what am I going to do? Ignore it or admit it and process that with them? I love just what Ryan was saying. Um, we can have peace in the storm, and Jesus really wants to offer that to us individually. I love it. I love what Josh is sharing here because this is just where it is, right? This is how all of us are. Um, I feel overwhelmed sometimes by life. I'm a dad and a husband and a pastor, and uh, sometimes life just kind of creeps up in the storm. The weight of life kind of feels overwhelming. You, you felt that too. I know you have, right? Just how it works. You felt the 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 pressure and the anxiety of watching a family member or a good clo- a close friend make decisions that you can't change. You can't affect it. And it rips you apart because you can't do anything to live that person's life or affect change for them. You know the feeling of the unknown. Do I need to move? Do I need to take that job? What major am I going to pick? What college am I going to go to? Should I date this person or not? Like, the, the unknowns are out there and the feeling of anxiety of do I make the right decision or not? You know the feeling of, of feeling physically overwhelmed, of receiving bad news or a bad diagnosis or a diagnosis in the life of someone that you love and, and I don't know what, where's it going to lead? Right. And the reality is as that hits, as the weight bears down on me, as the storm rages around me, the key thing that the whole process is, is how do I handle that? How do I kind of get peace in the middle of it? How do I invite Jesus in? I came across this quote uh, about a couple years ago, and it, man, it's meant a ton to me. I want to share it with you guys. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. It's not the load that breaks you down. It's the way you carry it. It's not the load that breaks you down. It's the way you carry it. There is a great temptation to think, if I could just make all of this stuff out here go the way that I want it to, then I would have peace in here. If, if I could make my circumstances, if I could wrangle them, then I would be the way that I want to be on the inside. And the reality is, no matter how much weight I'm called to carry no matter how bad the storm is, how I actually manage it, the way that I carry that load makes all the difference in the world. The other piece of this is we gotta remember that Jesus sent those disciples out into that storm on purpose. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a mystery to God that this somehow this storm erupted. He was teaching them to find peace in him Uniquely. And boy, I tell you, as the storms rage in our lives, it's not an accident today that we are where we are. Right? That, that is, is the, the mind races and we lose sleep and our hearts flutter and we wonder and we think and we talk and we stress. That pressure is going to drive us somewhere. And if you said to me, Ryan, what do, what do you think we need to do with this? I would say this. I would say I think what God is trying to do is that storm rages, as the weight presses in, is God is trying to draw us to himself. Jesus would say, please invite me into this. Let me be your first response, your invitation into the boat. Before you run to the bottle, 
or before you run to the pill or before you run to the next promotion or some more money to, to cover over it, right, or the next hookup to make the pain go away for a little bit, what if you invited me in? Because I'm promising you, my peace will surpass understanding. It will guard your mind and your heart in Christ. Storm's still out there, but we can be serene and calm and still on the inside. And deep down, that's what we're all looking for. I think that's what Jesus would be calling us today. I think if he were here, we'd say, what's your storm? What are you wrestling with right now? What are you losing sleep over? And I think he would ask, how are you bearing that weight? How are you managing that? What are you running to to deal with the pressure when it feels overwhelming and you almost can't breathe? What are you running to to find peace and calm in the middle of it? And then I think you would look and say, would you involve me in that? What, what if you stopped all the running and all the coping and just, just admitted it and said, Jesus, I don't even know how to run my life. Literally stopped and prayed and said, I, I feel overwhelmed, Jesus, will you help me? What if we did that? What, what if following Jesus isn't just a thing we do at church? Well, what if it's not just a, an attachment or a title that we have? What if, what if following Jesus works in how we actually live out the stress of our days and deal with the anxiety of our lives? What if we found a peace we never thought was possible? I think that's what Jesus would call us to today. I wonder if we might open up and, and be honest and share that with him directly here, even this morning. As the band comes out, I encourage you to do that. Recognize that no matter what problem, no matter what weight, no matter what storm I'm in, that the way to carry the weight is to involve Jesus into it. Invite him into the boat. Admit it and own it. He walked on water. He's the most interesting man in the world. Would you talk to him today? Would you pray with me? Father, we want to say thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for even the storms, Lord. Because in the storms, you draw us to yourself. And you give us a peace that we're never going to find on our own. It was only through you and your presence in our hearts and in our lives that's going to bring us the still and the, the tranquility we actually long for. It's supernatural. So Lord, we ask for your courage to be honest today. That's not weakness, it's honesty to admit that life feels overwhelming or we don't have all the answers and we want to find your grace and your peace. And like a good friend or a good father, you're there 
in the midst of our storm with us. Lord, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Be here even now.